the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. 602-508-0960. We are expecting uh, to hear a call in, uh, to receive a call shortly uh, from Prescott, where Karen Taylor Robeson just kicked off her official campaign for governor. We'll do that in a few moments. But first, Rob did have a follow-up from the last hour on his previous call regarding the French recalling their ambassador. Go ahead, Rob. Well, thank you, Seth. Um, Most Americans probably don't know or realize that the United States does not currently have an ambassador to France. We've had a charge de affair who is sort of a number two guy. He's sort of a interim ambassador, but he's not an ambassador with all the ambassadorial responsibilities and privileges. Um, and he had been the deputy chief of mission in Paris since, I think, 2019. And he was also a minister counselor for political affairs from 2017 to 19. So he, um, <laughs> and it's kind of funny because we don't, you know, we hear about the ambassadors in France being recalled back to France. But Americans don't realize that we, the United States, do not currently have an ambassador to France. We have somebody that's filling in, uh, which hasn't been filled yet. And I just, I just think that that's kind of incredible because, you know, we're not hearing anything from him or the State Department on any reactions that are going on involving this whole nuclear submarine thing and recalling of ambassadors and everything. Um, you know, the, the uh, State Department says silence is deafening, and it's really quite frightening in a way. Um, and so, you know, I was going to talk about the monkeys and Neil Diamond, you know, who wrote I'm a Believer and and all that stuff. But I think, you know, this is probably more important. Yeah, uh, well, the charge day affairs is what we call it, right? But, I mean, he is Senate mm-hmm. confirmed, or the person is Senate confirmed, and it has all the attributes of an ambassador, right? Well, he has all the uh, uh, attributes in the sense that uh, he's uh, he's Senate confirmed. He's received he receives an honorary title. There is an embassy yeah. in France that he runs. Yeah, yeah. But after nine months, or I guess almost nine months, um, you know, and you think that France, uh, being a major, uh, well, European, I don't know if I want to say ally, but uh, they haven't. We don't have an ambassador, and I think that's kind of. But we do. But we do. It's it's. it's, We do. We we have a charge. We have a charge de affairs in France. Yeah, but he's not an ambassador, Seth. Well, I understand, but by the same token, we don't have really a director of the. We don't have a director of the 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 FDA, right? By the same token, we we don't have a director of uh, OSHA, right? (laughs) At this point, yeah. Okay, but at, but at the same, point, we have people I mean, running it like, who haven't been Senate yeah. confirmed yet. Yeah. Okay. And, the point is that the media is not talking about 
the the country of France, which is the model of liberal association with the United States, recalling its ambassador, which they do have in the United States, out of the United States because we thumbed our noses at France for the second time this year. Uh, and that and that if this were any other administration, one would one would think, uh, if, especially if it were an administration uh, led by someone with an R behind their name, one would think that the international order is falling down as a result of the president of the United States' actions. But we have a media in the United States that um, that serves as an adjunct if you will, an adjunct communications arm of the Democratic Party to establish and maintain and protect the reputation of the current president of the United States. I'll I'll give you I'll give you a for instance. I'll give you a for instance. Um, The the for instance of it starts with the January 6th riots and kind of ends with a whimper rather than a bang given that Nancy Pelosi was doing everything she wanted to and could to make this a bigger issue than it was. So there was a big rally that she put the fences back up around the U.S. Capitol over the weekend. There was a big rally of all these people who were defending the J6 or the January 6th protesters, rioters, whatever the phrase, term of art you prefer is. And it was the definition of a nothing burger. There were twice as much media and three times as much police as there were non-media and non-police. Would they get about 100 people from across the country, 125 people? It was a nothing thing. But story upon story upon story, wringing of the hand, wringing of the hand, worry and worry on top of worry after worry from the left about what the radical right was going to do in Washington, D.C. this weekend. Turns out, turns out what the criminal element in Washington, D.C., was doing this weekend was much worse than anything that transpired as a as a conservative rally or in the name of conservatism or the Republican Party in a, in a rally. It is such a small infinitesimal part of this party that you would need a magnifying glass to find it on a pie chart. And Nancy Pelosi is trying to convince us it's the entire pie. So is the media. So is the president of the United States. This, we, can, we can do this on and on. There is an interesting shift, though. And I, I like to point out cultural trends where I can find them. Notice, notice in let's see if I'm right about this, if we're at a slight turning point with the left right now. When someone like Gavin Newsom or Gretchen Whitmer or the mayor of Austin was caught breaking their own COVID rules. Okay, the famous case of Gavin Newsom dining at the French Laundry, for instance. They apologized in moments and months past. They would apologize. They would say they regret it. They didn't live up to their own standards, the standards they wish. It was a lapse of judgment. Notice what's happening now when these people are discovered, whether they are stars at the Emmys or the L.A. County Health Department, which approves the which approves the congregate gathering for the for the for the broadcasting of the Emmys or the mayor of San Francisco, who was at a nightclub this weekend, maskless. No more apologizing. Notice this. Have you seen this? They're, They're not apologizing anymore. They're not in all at all shamed about it. They're now doubling down on it. So you have the mayor of San Francisco saying she was moved by the spirit and that, you know, it would be nice if not every action of hers was 
was uh, was was uh, was 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 scrutinized by her political opponents. Okay, that's not an apology. That's that's a defense of what she did. Uh, you you get the same thing with the Emmys. Listen to this: uh, the L.A. County Health Department, <laughs> the L.A. County Health Department, just put out a statement defending that. Well, I'll just read it to you. Quote, L.A. County, LA County's health officer order requires everyone to wear a mask indoors, whether vaccinated or unvaccinated. However, exceptions are made for film, television and music productions. The Emmy Award show is a television production appearing on the show are considered performers. All persons in the audience of the show were fully vaccinated against COVID-19. They're trying to tell you this was all reasonable. Also, public health was informed that each of these persons had verified negative PCR tests. Well, anyone, they're just taking your word for it now if you're a performer. If you're a performer, they just take your word for it. But if you're any other kind of American citizen, including in the audience, no. No. And the reason for that is what? The reason for that is they know that what they're telling you is not true. If what they were telling, it's not the hypocrisy. I, I don't care about the hypocrisy of it. Hypocrisy is a wrong in its own, but it's not the worst wrong here when we're thinking public policy. If we're talking public policy, it's not the hypocrisy. It's that what they're telling you, they don't believe. For if they believed it, they would not subject themselves to the very dangers they say you should be afraid of. What kind of person has to be insane enough to tell you, don't point that loaded gun at your head after a six-pack, but I'll point the loaded gun at my head after a six-pack? Well, they must know the gun isn't loaded. They must know that. What kind of person tells you not to go out in these circumstances or do these things lest you may die, but they will do it? They will do it with no necessary understanding of a stronger or lesser or weaker or more robust immunity system. It's that they don't believe it themselves. It's what is part and parcel of the cynicism that is gripping the American people I was discussing with Brandon Weikert in the last hour. When people start realizing that their major institutions in both the private and public sector are lying to them on a mass scale and now almost about everything or at a minimum, you can't believe your major institutions. You have at best no rule of law, at worst anarchy. My good friend Karen Taylor Robeson announced her candidacy for the governor from the very place Barry Goldwater announced every race he ever ran in Prescott, Arizona. She'll be with us when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It is a delight, as mentioned, to welcome... Back to the show, my good friend Karen Taylor Robeson. She announced her candidacy for the governorship of Arizona today in Prescott, the very place Barry Goldwater started every campaign since the 1950s. To learn more about Karen, you can go to her website, K-A-R-R-I-N for Arizona.com, and we spell for Arizona, F-O-R, Karen for Arizona.com. Karen, congratulations. How are you? Thank you, Seth, and thank you for having me on this evening. Of course, absolutely. It was a delight to be with you earlier today, but your day started super early, didn't it? It 
It sure did. I, I started my day as I normally do with a, an early morning hike. And this morning it was out in uh, Mesa, my hometown. And then I was joined by Governor Jan Brewer and Governor Fife Symington, the co-chairs of my campaign, when we uh, formally launched our campaign from my hometown of Mesa. So it's it's been a long day, a busy day, but a very, very good and productive day. And, and as you said, we're now here in uh, Prescott, which is such an important place for the state of Arizona and, and, and the history of Arizona. You bet. I, I have uh, I have delighted in, in watching this campaign take shape, Karen, but for the audience that doesn't know you as well as I do, and uh, I don't know if two families have known each other <laughs> for longer than ours have, but for the family, fa- we've known each other a couple generations, haven't we, our families? Tell the audience yes. a little bit about yourself. Go ahead and do your biography and why you're running for governor. All right. Well, as I said, I'm, I'm an Arizona native. I'm from Mesa. Grew up uh, working in my family's uh, small business. My dad was the uh, local hometown pharmacist, so I learned an awful lot from him. And, and as an Arizona native, haven't had an opportunity to, to travel the state as a young girl and uh, spend an awful lot of time with my family up in northern Arizona building, building our family cabin and, and learned a lot about you know, just, you know, Arizona work ethic and, and values, family values and, and, and faith and, and, and hard work, quite frankly. And, and from there, I went to uh, Arizona State University and uh, eventually became the student body president. I was elected student body president at ASU. And then I had the honor of a lifetime to work at the White House for, for Ronald Reagan. So uh, not not bad for for my first job out of college. Not and, bad for your first job out of first job out of college. Were you making a little more than twenty five cents an hour that your daddy was paying? <laughs> yeah, but not much. I understand. <laughs> much. I understand. You're about yeah, public no, I mean, service in any venue, but you've done a lot since yeah. then too. Attorney, my gosh, your civic your your civic engagements. You've dragged me into civic action in yeah. Arizona. You've been the oh, cause yeah. of getting people involved in a lot of things from. Uh, teaching actually civics and civic leadership to uh, you, you being the chief of uh, the uh, the uh, the civic leader for the chief of staff of the United States Air Force. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, after I left the White House, I, I worked for a couple of governors, including Governor Simonton here in Arizona, and then then went off to law school. And for the last twenty seven years, I've been in the private sector, uh, working working hard to build uh, great places here in in Arizona great communities for now tens of thousands of, of Arizonans to call home. Um, but throughout that time, I was, uh, you know, probably my most treasured job of all was being a mother to, to four just great kids. And, and quite frankly, I'm, I'm in this race because of them and, and all of Arizona's children. I, I was so blessed along the way with so many opportunities, beginning with, you know, working for 25 cents an hour in a drugstore. Um, and then all, all the way up the ladder, I've, I've just been immensely blessed. And, and what's coming out of Washington, D.C., you know, worries me endlessly. And, and, you know, I was always taught to leave a place better than I found it. Mm-hmm. And given, you know, you know to, to whom much is given, much is expected. Mm-hmm. And, and my job is to leave the place better for the next generation. And that's what I intend to do as governor of Arizona. Karen, I'm curious, uh, as, as, as a radio host and someone who gets involved in politics as well, what are you hearing mostly from the meetups and town halls you've been? What, what is most on the minds of Arizonans? What comes up more often than anything else? And what do you say to it? 
Well, you know, I've, I've traveled around the states quietly for the last several months just talking to people and learning and listening. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, day-to-day issues that Arizona families, you know, are struggling with and dealing with. But overall, everybody, you get, you get this sense of urgency about the pace of change in our country and, and what's happening. You know, you don't have to look much farther than our southern border to see how quickly things can change. I just heard this morning, you know, a statistic that border, illegal border crossings are up 900 percent from this time last mm-hmm. year. And, and, you know, nobody expected this, this rapid um, uh, decline in, in the security of our, of our border. So I, I hear that repeatedly. And then, of, of course, so many Arizonans are, are you know, concerned about, about election integrity. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the first orders of business here in the state is we have got to restore confidence uh, in our elections. And, and I know there's many things that we can do on that front. And the other overarching issue that I hear a lot about is what's going on in our school. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you know, the, the kids today are truly being more indoctrinated than, than educated, and, and that's a problem. You know, I, I, you know, often quote Abraham Lincoln, but, but one of my favorite is, you know, the philosophy of the classroom in one generation is the philosophy of government in the next. Yeah. Yep. And and the debate about you know critical race theory isn't a petty political issue. It's it's really a fight for the soul of our country. One one of and the project I'm one of the, well one of the projects you dragged me into. I have to interrupt because it's it's it's. I suggest people go and read your bio at KarenForArizona.com. It's a lot, but one of the things you dragged me into, and you've dragged me into many, was something. Every time grateful, I have to tell you, was the Regents Cup, which you started, which was um, something that was meant to defend free speech on our college and university campuses and give students an idea of that which would, they had been missing. Say something about it, because it's one of the yeah. most privileged opportunities I've had was being participant of that. Well, thank you. You know, I was I was uh, honored to be appointed to the Arizona Board of Regents, and you know, it really at the time, um, you know, the board needed some expertise in the real estate arena, and and so I brought that, um, you know, that expertise. But my passion was really, really focused on civic civic education, and the First Amendment and free speech. And Arizona State University is the largest university in the nation, and so with that comes you know challenges, but it also comes opportunities. Um, Arizona State Uni- University was was given a green rating fi- by the uh, rating agency for universities when it comes to free speech. And I thought, you know, uh, we might not be perfect, right? No university is, no university system is. But with with that kind of accolade, we, we had a responsibility to showcase who we are and what we can do to the rest of the nation. And so I conceived of the Regents Cup, which is now a, a three-university three competition amongst our students on specifically on the first amendment and freedom of speech and and thank you thank you for for agreeing to be a judge oh, now, it's uh, enlightening totally enlightening and, and i'll tell you what it gives me a lot of hope when i see these these students being able to debate both sides of an issue and do so civilly it's really been a point of pride for me well karen it's great to get you on the day you announced uh, we will expect many many returns here it's a delight to be um, able to endorse you. It's a delight to be a part of this. 
And I got to tell you, uh, for those that are learning a little bit about you, as 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 their mind has healthily not been on politics as much as yours and mine has, go to your web, go to her website and look at the latest or Twitter feed, latest video you put out, KarenForArizona.com, K-A-R-R-I-N-F-O-R Arizona.com. It's a great video, Karen, and I can't wait till you come back in studio and we'll discuss all these issues in much more depth. All right. Thank you, Seth. God bless you, Karen, and Godspeed. Thanks for checking in with our audience. We'll be back soon. Uh Back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Trades Unlimited for all your roofing needs. Another company I have used. I only promote companies that I know and use, and I have gotten to know Trades Unlimited very well, been to their offices, met their whole team, and I have used them for my own roof. If you are in the uh, market for a new roof, a replacement, an inspection, a repair, I want you to check out Trades Unlimited. They want me to let you know that if you have a foam roof, which is a great kind of roof, but if it's five years old, it's time to have it inspected and recoded. You don't want to check your foam roof after the leaks begin. For any roofing needs, though, give Trades Unlimited a call at 480-483-1775 or tradesunlimited.com. A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, A-plus rating from me. Jeff is in Phoenix. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Seth. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm great. Hey, I just uh, just want to make an observation, kind of ask a question, uh, but I'm uh, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I just try to look at the world. I like to look at see what's happening around me, and then I like to take all that input in, and I try to try to make my own decisions. But just ask this question. There was a news story that was just on uh, a couple of news cycles ago on your station. You know, each half hour or whatever. It's all over the internet. But basically, the news story is is that there were a um, couple of flights or some flights that were coming in from. Uh, different places with Afghan refugees. And when they got here, the people tested positive for measles. And so the government automatically halted all of those flights. And what is ironic is that I know for a fact that the government knows and tests and knows that people have COVID and they're letting them on flights. They're letting illegals on flights every single day on airline that I know for sure uh, my wife is a flight attendant, so I know they're doing it every single day. These people are sick. They, they've been tested for COVID, but they don't care. So it just shows you that either the vaccine really doesn't work and this is some sort of really meant to comply, but it has nothing to do with taking the vaccine or not. We're going to make you comply, something of that nature. Because why would they shut down flights that people had measles automatically, but they didn't? I'm sure there's plenty of those people have COVID but they're not shutting down the flights because of COVID. I think this is another example, Jeff, and I saw something across the ticker about the CDC now requiring quarantine or measles vaccination for Afghan refugees, but I'm not up on the story as much as you are. I just saw that during the show that broke, I think. At least that's when I first saw it. So I don't know the full story at this point. But when you look at the vaccination policies 
that Joe Biden is um, mandating for American citizens versus what he's mandating for refugees and illegal aliens. It's something that leads to the cynicism that we were talking about earlier and people just not believing the government. Are we afraid of white evangelicals or are we afraid of COVID? Tell me, what is the answer? Because the government right now, if you listen to them about COVID or about anything that uh, that can present a danger to the American public, including their public health, it's from white evangelicals. And so when we talk about COVID on CNN or MSNBC, that's who the target is. The unvaccinated are the white evangelicals, never mind the much greater proportions of actual persons of color in the major cities that they're reporting these these fear mongering, quote unquote, factoids to. Right, Jeff? I mean, it makes us think that they don't take it as seriously as they want us or think we should take it. And if they're not, tell me why Americans will. It is interesting to me, I just saw this, that vaccination rates for the week after Joe Biden's September 9th, what would you call it, lecture, stern lecture to the American people about vaccinations. Vaccination rates went down from the week before he spoke. From the week before, I think the more you see the guy, these 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 um, these uh, team fear uh, pr- uh, promulgationists, the more you see these team fear disseminators, the more the American people are saying, "I'm not so sure I'm buying what they're selling." The reason America is America, and no one, there's never been an America, is because we, as a people, stood up to what's going on right now. The same way it went along in England, Hitler, all of it. Stand up. Do not comply. If they're forcing you to do something, it's against the Constitution. Jeff, one of the other things that we are different from every other country or have been in the past, you've heard me lately saying we are slowly becoming the kind of country we used to send aid to. But the reason, one of the reasons we were one of those kinds of uh, unique places in the world was because we took our Declaration of Independence seriously. And when we talked about laws being applicable equally, we actually meant it. We actually meant it. Here, I'll give you a little fact as we go to break. Next time you hear about vaccinating children in Arizona, four times the number of total COVID children deaths in this state, four times the number are from breakthrough deaths. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. A couple of you emailed during the break asking if I can repeat that statistic I used at the end of the last segment. Of course, uh, happy to. Four times the number of children who have died in COVID since January of 2020. Four times the number of children who have died from COVID since January of 2020 in Arizona are deaths of people who have been fully vaccinated. Deaths with COVID of people who have been fully vaccinated. Think about that next time someone talks about vaccinating the child. The idea that we are afraid of our kids. The idea that we should be afraid of our children. Do not tell me that's not an idea that they don't absorb. The best cultural piece I think I've read in a long time came out this weekend on Newsmax from DeRoy Murdoch. And it's a review, kind of a political review of this new movie, Respect, about Aretha Franklin. I don't know how many of you have seen it. It's new. 
newly out in the theaters. I've seen it. It's an okay movie. It's not quite as good as other uh, what they call uh, biopics. It's not quite as good as some of the others I've seen. Uh, I thought it was about as good uh, as Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash one, which I thought was good, but not as good as people thought it. <laughs> other people thought it was okay. But there is something DeRoy Murdoch picked up, and I couldn't help but noticing it myself. Of course, he he's 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 the better writer and got there first. The movie Respect is in and of itself its own antidote or a cultural antidote to the critical race theory that so many of us have talked about for the past year, year and a half, and that even more of us who have been familiar with the university system have been talking, or even fewer of us, but who have been talking about it for a longer period of time. We noticed um, we noticed it was rearing its ugly head some 30 years ago in the universities and colleges and law schools of our country. And we thought, well, it was okay. It would stay there. I refer to it as a lab leak. It left the ivory towers and it's infected the minds of not only a lot of Americans, but a lot of places we never thought could be infected, like the Department of Defense. But if I can go back to DeRoy Murdoch's point, um, Respect, he writes, the movie Respect detonates three main and core tenets of critical race theory. One is that whites are racist oppressors. Two are that blacks are downtrodden victims of white bigotry. And three is that cultural appropriation is evil. Respect, the movie Respect, Aretha Franklin's story and life story incinerates these disgusting ideas. Ideas. Respect spans the early 1950s to the 1970s, where we meet young Aretha as a little girl who sings to a group of adult guests in her Detroit home. Her father is a Baptist minister uh, known as Reverend, uh, Reverend uh, C.L. Franklin. His living room is filled with dozens of family, friends, loved ones all the time. The men wear suits. The women wear gowns. They're elegant, poised, well-spoken, educated, and prosperous. Even when things were terrible for so many blacks in the 1950s, they somehow held their heads high. If CRT huckster Ibram X. Kendi rode a time machine back to Reverend Franklin's gathering and told these black folks that they were victims, they correctly would have shown him the door and shoved him off the porch. As the film progresses, we see Aretha, her father, the sisters, and a host of other black people who book, manage, and attend to them all grow wealthy as Daddy's Princess becomes the Queen of Soul. As tour dates, gold records, and royalty checks pile up, oppressed and victim are the last two words on the mind of anyone around her. With a light touch, respect dismantles another key part of critical rice theory that whites spend basically all day and night hating and hurting black people. Akron Trer, this picture demonstrates how blacks and whites have worked together to better themselves in their world for generations, if not centuries. Aretha gets her first big break thanks to the highly influential John Hammond, a legendary producer and divining rod for talent. Hammond was not merely white. He was part of the Vanderbilt family. As such... The CRT folks would argue Hammond's status as a Caucasian son of capitalist uber wealth should have fortified his anti-black cruelty, but no such luck. Hammond signed Aretha to Columbia Records, and as he had done for K 
Count Basie, Lionel Hampton, Big Joe Turner, and many more championed her through her fledgling years in the music industry. Later, Aretha meets another white oppressor named Jerry Wexler. This equally legendary executive took Aretha beyond her jazz-oriented work with Hammond and helped her flourish into a global superstar by throwing Atlanta record, Atlantic Records full corporate weight behind her ambition to become a soul and R&B singer with crossover rock and pop appeal. On and on this uh, review goes, but respect shows Aretha and her largely black entourage collaborating with these and other white entertainers and businessmen throughout their lives, throughout their lives. The story goes on, but respect also flattens CRT's attack on cultural cross-pollination, or what's now known as cultural appropriation, a notion as nasty as it is absurd. At some level, all cultures involve appropriation. The magic that Tuscan and Milanese chefs craft with pasta would not exist had it not been for China and Marco Polo going to China and bringing noodles to Italy in the 13th century. John Coltrane, Maceo Parker, Clarence Clemens, just a few of the black men who would have blown hard into their empty hands had the saxophone not been invented in Belgium in 1846. Black authors from Harlem's Renaissance, Langston Hughes to Nobel laureate Toni Morrison would have attracted far fewer readers had they written in Yoruba rather than English, a language rooted in overwhelmingly white Great Britain. The point is, almost everything you hear about CRT that feels not quite right doesn't feel quite right for a reason. It's not. It's not history, and it's not true. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're going to like the closing, I think. Just uh, give you a little lift for the day, maybe a little chuckle. We'll be right back. My, my producer just reminded me. I said in the first segment there would be some good news I wanted to share with you. Indeed, there is. A colleague of ours uh, just adopted two uh, for him and his family, or her and her family, uh, him and his family. It's a male colleague. Just adopted two, um, two Weimariners, which are great dogs. But it begs an interesting question. There were, uh, do you remember how old they were, Bill? Our colleagues' dogs were they, – they were seven. They were each seven. Not related, I don't think, but they were each about seven years old. Do you keep the names from the shelter when you got them or do you give them new names? That's the question. I'll leave that grenade in this room as I leave the show for the evening and we'll see, what, uh, see what's revealed tomorrow. You want to leave the audience with a little humor, just a little humor at the end? A lot of <laughs> – a lot of you will think this is Anthony Fauci. It's the best imitation of him I've heard. We'll just have a little laugh here. Go ahead, Bill. I'd say even if you live alone, I would wear a mask in the house, especially in the shower, because, frankly, droplets can make the way through the drain and come up through somebody else's toilet, infecting them at ballpark in two to five to 20 years we can start thinking about considering the idea of pondering the thought of conceptualizing the possibility of maybe perhaps reopening, but probably not. I would avoid having any fun whatsoever in the near to far future. 
That's an imitation, but uh, what happens when uh, life imitates art, huh? God bless you all. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.